Hello and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Biver, NFL editor for SBNation.com. With me today, as always, are Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you guys doing today? Not too shabby. I'm doing awesome. Excellent. That's great news. It's good to hear. We're going to jump right in today, and we're going to talk about Shane Ray, the Missouri defensive end, a guy Stephen broke down on the site for us yesterday. You know, some people are talking about him now just kind of as an outside linebacker, and some people, you know, more people have him pegged as a defensive end on a four, you know, a four, a four-three defensive end, a guy with his hand in the in the dirt, which is kind of more what he, he's done some of at Missouri, but. I, how does that relate to the weight issue? I mean, that he, you know, you really stress the point that, you know, he probably needs to bulk up another 20 pounds or so to get above that 260 mark in the NFL to have that right. sort of impact. How, is it just in terms, is it just in terms of playing that position or is it sort of the overall, you know, going one-on-one with an offensive tackle at the NFL level? Well, it, it's pretty much a requirement because of the guys you go against. I don't care what you bench press in the weight room. If you're 235 pounds and guys 335 pounds blocking you, just the law of physics say, says you're not going to win that battle. I, I don't, you know, you can be the scrappiest guy ever. Uh, yeah, you're going to look like Rudy did in all those practices <laughs> at Notre Dame. There was a reason why he was a walk-on. So you, you need to have your big boy pass on, have a little bit of an anchor there where – even if you get get pushed out a little bit, you don't get knocked all over the place. And so, uh, I, you know, these guys are kind of tall also, which, you know, means you have a higher center of, of gravity. It's usually easier to push those guys over. You have to have an anchor. And right now, uh, Shane Ray, even in the college ranks, you can see he didn't have much of an anchor when he had to take on a block. He was great when they didn't block him which, you know, plays uh, to the opposite side of stuff. He would run down plays from the backside, and sometimes they would try to option off of him, and he did pretty good against that. But when they actually ran the ball at him and had somebody block him, he had a tough time getting off the block. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's an interesting point. And, and you really kind of stressed the point that he probably fit better as a defensive end as opposed to an outside linebacker. Right, because he's, cause he's stiff, too. <laughs> he's stiff as a board. Yeah. It, 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 it's funny. <laughs> You know, I give all praises to the defensive line coach in Missouri because he puts out guys with good technique. But it's funny because all these guys look exactly the same with their technique. They all look stiff as a board. Uh, the other kid that's coming out this year, uh, uh, um, his name escapes me right now, Marcus Golden. Yeah. Looks yeah. Exactly, he looks stiff as a board. Michael Sam last year. The other <laughs> kid that got drafted to the Panthers, they all have good technique, but they all look just so stiff. You, you you just think if, you know, you try to put them out in the flats with Shady McCoy, they might actually break something, literally. You know, <laughs> they need to do that's, yoga. That's how stiff they are. They need to do <laughs> yoga at Missouri, I think. Uh, they need to do something because it, it can't just be that all of these guys are that stiff and are still this productive. You know, Marcus Golden had like 10 sacks. Uh, nobody's really even talking about him. Why? Because. He ran a slow time, just like Michael Sam, and it's stiff like Michael Sam. The only difference, really, between those guys and Shane Ray, he's a little bit taller and a lot faster. So, yeah. you know, he's, he's a defensive end through and through. Really don't want to see him out there in space at all. You know, he could be a rush linebacker, kind of like Kansas City does. Mm-hmm. But as far as, 
you know, a guy that'll actually have to go out and cover. Yeah, I think, uh, no, we don't want to see that. <laughs> I was just looking up, well, I was kind of looking up what he, uh, what Ray's combine numbers were. And he looks well, like, like a four, six, he, he did a four, six, four and a four, six, five, 40. Right. That, that wasn't at the combine though. That was at his pro that was day. Pro day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he still might not actually be at full speed right now. He probably, he probably runs a little bit faster than that. Yeah, and that's pretty good. I mean, you know, that's pretty good. I think that's something you really you saw on the tape a little bit in your breakdown oh, was, was his speed like that. Absolutely, and his get off the ability to get off the ball is, uh, I think, a little bit underrated by some people. For whatever reason, I think people have gotten it in their head that these guys that are good at this are just jumping the count or just guessing. But you'll know those guys who do that because they have a ton of all size penalties. Yeah, and uh, whether it be Vic Beasley or uh, Shane Ray, those guys have fantastic get-off and never actually had an all-size that I saw in the games that I watched. Mm-hmm. So that tells you they're reading their keys. They are just a little, have a little bit more quick twitch than the rest of the guys on the defensive line or than most people in general. So, um, you know, I, I say that that kid is probably a four or five kid. And mm-hmm. that's better than uh, Fowler, uh, uh, Dante Fowler Jr., that's faster than him, mm-hmm. and just as fast as Randy Gregory. So when you talk about athletic, you know, he measures up with those guys pretty well. Well, let's compare. Let's kind of – I want to go <laughs> – I want to follow that a little bit and go with, uh, you know, you mentioned F- Fowler and Gregory. How does, how does Ray compare to those guys? Well, here's the thing. He's a more developed pass rusher than they are – already now Dante Fowler Jr. is more of an overall athlete though and so is Randy Gregory those guys are um they kind of fit in any scheme Mm -hmm. because either you're going to put uh a little bit of weight on them and have them be a 4-3 defensive end with their hand in the dirt or they'll be out and be an outside linebacker in any kind of 3-4 that you run because they can be out there in space they can cover the backs or the tight ends or what have you and they, they actually have shown that on film in college a little bit. So uh, that's really the major difference. Shane Ray is almost exclusively a 4-3 defensive end or, and or a nickel rusher if there's a team that just wants to bring him on to do that. Because uh, I, the way I see it, uh, if you're a 3-4 team and maybe you don't want him to play full-time, if he can get you seven or eight sacks a year, that's still a pretty good investment. Yeah. It's a sub-package world nowadays. I mean, heck, you play nickel probably more than half the time now. Yep. It's specialized. and I mean, look at what Pernell McPhee, he got a huge contract this year. He didn't even, like, start for Baltimore. <laughs> yep, and he earned it, too. That, that <laughs> dude showed up big <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting – I mean, you, and then you have those guys like that. I, I know I've seen this a couple times now because you've got that sort of the Pete Carroll diaspora of coaches out there now. <laughs> Gus Bradley in Jacksonville, and now you got Dan Quinn in Atlanta. So a lot of teams – now you've got two more teams, two teams that are pretty hurting for pass rushers, and they're talking a lot about the Leo linebacker position or that Leo sort of hybrid pass rusher position. Danny, that's something you are pretty familiar with, you know, having being a Seahawks guy – yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So, I mean, going back to Pete Carroll's time at, 
at USC, the Leo is just another name for, you know, left and or whatever. And so it, that's just a way they designate their um, weak side defensive end. And um, I think the, for, the, the biggest thing has always been speed and athleticism for that. It's like you don't have to be a really complete player. I think it's more just they want him to be a really fast guy. You don't have to be a big, huge guy. Um, and so that's why you see, like, their interest in Bruce Irvin and um, some of the other guys that they've drafted along the way that didn't really pan out. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's essentially just a guy that, you know, can be really disruptive, like like uh, Stephen had alluded to, like on plays that are opposite that go the other way, the guy that will chase down the line and, and, you know, make a difference there, guys that will get a really good jump on the snap and, and you know, force – Either force a, either get a sack or force a QB to step up into pressure, um, so they don't have to be you know the Charles Johnson type of six foot whatever two hundred and seventy five pound guys. It's like you're seeing more like two hundred thirties two hundred forty pound guys, and then they're trying to develop them into um, maybe around two fifty two fifty five by the time they get into their prime, and so. Um, yeah, I don't know like how different it really is in terms of like what you want from a four three defensive end, um, but it's just kind of that that undersized element has kind of caught on, and that's sort of what you're talking about when you mm-hmm. when you think of a Leo. Interesting. Yeah, and so and speed speed is the main thing. I think of what Carol's always said: speed and athleticism. So, and I think a lot of that goes to like get off too. Like that that's a huge deal that maybe doesn't get talked about enough, as Stephen had said. Um, yeah, cause you can't really teach that. It's like, I remember people were really, really high on Sam Montgomery a couple of years ago and, um, talking about him getting like a lot of people were connecting him to the Seahawks as like mm-hmm. a potential Leo. And I'm just like watching his tape. He's the last guy off the line every time. And I just, you know, like, I just don't get what anyone saw in him. I think, you know, he ended up, I don't know what round he got graded in, or he got drafted in, but he obviously washed out of the league pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, that's something that I always watch. Like, who's the last guy up and out of his stance and off the line? And, and if the guy's, like, really timing the snap and getting, you know, into the backfield consistently, that that's a huge deal. Yeah. You know, what, another thing that Dan Quinn mentioned at the at the league meetings a couple of weeks ago when talking about that Leo thing was was the length, too, the the, the – not just, I guess arm length is sort of the outward way we think about it in, in terms of what they measure at the combine and what gets reported, but just that overall kind of lankiness, you know, in terms of a guy's, you know, his reach and his arms and his ability to kind of move around with his body like that. That was, I, so I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. How does something like length play into a pass rusher's repertoire, Steven? Well, if they know how to use it effectively, that means they're able to make their moves a little bit quicker. Uh, on the offensive tackle, uh, one of my favorite moves of all time is a long arm. And it's literally just what it says. Guy puts his inside hand on the offensive lineman's right down the ins- ins- uh, offensive lineman's chest, right in the middle, mm-hmm. and then he continues to run around him and knocks off the offensive lineman's outside hand. Mm-hmm. If, if you have long arms, and I've seen this, guys with really long arms, the offensive tackle can't even touch you because one long, one arm is always going to be longer than two. So if you know how to do that effectively, Chris Dolman was a master at it. It would look like he wasn't even working hard. 
because he just come off, stabbed the guy with his inside hand, and his arms were so long they could never reach him. And so he would knock the hands off and keep going and get the sack. And uh, I don't think guys nowadays utilize that kind of stuff enough because, it, like I said, literally one arm is always longer than two. If you got long levers, yeah. the offensive tackle can't touch you. They need to be able to touch you in order to block you because if they can't grab a hold of you, then you should be able to get by them and get to the quarterback. So obviously if you're a guy with shorter arms, now even if you try the long arm, you're still going to get blocked because he still can get engaged with you, grab a hold of you, and now it's a wrestling match. We don't like wrestling matches. So <laughs> if at all possible, you want to keep them off of you and having a lo- you know really long arms helps with that. Why is it so hard for NFL teams to evaluate defensive ends and pass rushers? Like it's it's a position that you see so many people bust out as. Like why why is it? Do you think? Well, there's a coaching aspect of it, and really that kind of looms large because there's so many guys who are top guys, top athletes, and made a lot of plays in college, but have poor technique, and so mm-hmm. you have to kind of try to. to I don't know, look into a crystal ball and see, will this guy be coachable once he gets to the next level? Maybe it wasn't a coach. Maybe it was the kid and he didn't take respond to coaching well. So you have that. And then, of course, us defensive linemen love to eat. You get on the next level, you get, you know, you get these big checks. You can go and eat all the steak you want to eat. Now I don't have to go to go to Corral. You can actually go and order it the way you want to cook. And, you know, guys get big and lazy. I mean, that's probably the, Either in the top three of reason why defensive linemen wash out is because they get overweight and then they can't move around anymore. Uh, and, and and I see it time and time again, especially with interior guys, but even sometimes with, with uh, defensive end type guys because they end up getting too big. Like maybe at first they needed to gain some weight, but then they didn't, never did stop and they eat their way out of the league. So uh, you have those factors. You have the coaching. You have the fact that you have to project something that you haven't seen. And then you had the fact that guys love to eat and they're going to have a, a, a lot more opportunities to eat a lot richer food than they've ever had in their life. So <laughs> I was talking to somebody about this uh, yesterday about Shane Ray and the fact that he needs to gain weight. And they were kind of like, well, that's just kind of a given, right? He'll, he'll be able to gain weight. Uh, now that he's in the NFL, can't the teams dictate what he eats and make sure he eats enough and stuff like that? No, you're on your own. And because you're on your own, you could possibly hire a chef and have somebody cater your food and all that good stuff and make sure you're eating healthy. A lot of guys, uh, you know, their catering is the McDonald's drive-thru. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I was the same way, you know, when I was a young player, really wasn't into nutrition and stuff like that. And so you, you, you gain a weight, but it's not really good weight. Yeah. So yeah. you just have to be careful about it. It's interesting to me that teams don't have a more regimented. I mean, I guess some teams maybe have, you know, they've got their personal chef or their their team chefs at at the facilities and everything. But it's kind of interesting that they're not more regimented in terms of like giving these players like diet plans and like things they have to eat and everything like that. You think that'd be such a big part of it? They are involved to that extent. Yeah, uh, especially like the new the teams that really kind of embrace. Uh, uh, new technologies and stuff like that, yeah. they can kind of see uh, the difference you make. I know at, at One Buck Place, the new one, uh, it, it is fantastic over there. Brand new facilities, they have uh, 
the chefs, you know, working there, fantastic uh, spread every single day. And guys can take food to go home with them if they choose to do so. So yeah. some teams will will kind of do that, but I think some teams are kind of old school. They just feel like, you know, hands off when a guy's away from the facility. That's his time. We'll let him do his thing and kind of let a man be a man and 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 handle his responsibilities the way he should. It's just that 22, 23-year-old quote-unquote men don't always work that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm 32 and I still have terrible diet habits. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> well, today's, uh, yesterday, was, well, we missed Taco Tuesday, so I guess today's Whopper Wednesday or, or something like that. <laughs> I'm looking at Shane Ray here, and I, and I was I was following you on Twitter yesterday, and I, after the Shane Ray article came out, and apparently he's a guy that that incites <laughs> some debate, and I and I never really had any. I mean, I understand there's some question of whether or not he's you know what what position he play or whether he not you know it, can he put on the 20 pounds? Is he big enough? That sort of thing. What were people tweeting to you yesterday when you discovered? that Ray was somewhat of a controversial player in terms of draft analysis. Well, you know what? I actually discovered this like maybe a week or so ago because it was during the time I was actually writing it. And so I was discussing him online a little bit. Of course, you're going to get some feedback when you do that. And so some of the feedback was very positive. (laughs) But the the ones that weren't, they really fucking hate this kid. Like, <laughs> you, you did something personally to them. And, and here's what I've kind of deduced. It's usually the guys who analyze uh, uh, the prospects and stuff, but they all have a team that they root for. Yeah. And that team happens to be picking in the top ten. Nobody wants their team picking Shane Ray in the top ten for some reason. It's almost like they have to call him a bum just to say he's not top 10 worthy. And I'm not sure he's top 10 worthy, but he's definitely not a bum. So uh, it's just amazing. Like, you can tell right off the bat how how the conversation is going to go. They don't mince words. When you bring up Shane Ray, they're going to tell you exactly how they feel about him. Now, there's some people that love himself, of course. But for the people that hate him, Man, they can't wait to tell you that stuff. <laughs> There's something like draft season that really brings out the best in the uh, in the internet. You know, I mean, it's a uh, it's it's always an inter- it's always entertaining. It is a microcosm for the internet, it, like just draft draft Twitter in general. It, it gets so heated; it's funny. It really, you know, this oh, is a, this is an aside. <laughs> but have you guys noticed? Like, it's kind of like not. No, not like just the general population. I mean, obviously, there's always idiots out there, no matter what you're discussing. But, I mean, like, have you noticed draft coverage is a little, for lack of a better word, nicer this year? I mean, we don't have a lot of, like, <laughs> like Dan and I were trying to find, you know, all those, like, crazy-ass draft rumors like we heard last year. I mean, like, all that, like, hardcore Nolan to Rocky stuff. Like, this guy's not going to make it in the NFL because he has a kid or – you know, or like the Janoris Jinket stuff from a couple of years back, or like, you know, the way a guy wears his hat and, and oh, stuff God. like that. But like, all you could really find was, was, I mean, of, of any, any note was that, you know, the Marcus Mariota stuff, well, he's too nice of a guy. Or yeah, he's, so I was know. about to say, see, that's the catalyst this year. I think everybody's kind of putting all their chips into the table and they're riding either Jameis Winston 
or Marcus Mariota. <laughs> yeah. And so I think this kind of sucked all the air out of all the other it's, conversations. It's a yeah. black hole. <laughs> it is. And then even like the Mariota stuff, it's like you don't really hear that much about. I mean, you hear people that, I mean, you still hear that. And I think it's to some extent a valid criticism, but. You know, the people talking about, well, his college offensive system is not going to, tra- you know, it's going to be difficult for him to translate to the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't hear the, you know, that he's too nice stuff didn't really, it didn't, it didn't have legs like some of that stuff right. tends to do this time of year, which was, which was always, I don't know, just an observation I had. I thought it was kind of funny that we've, you know, in, in sort of a, a good way, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining that that stuff's missing. But. I, was about, I was about to say, knock on wood, because we're still a little ways out. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. It can still come flooding in these last three weeks or so. So knock on wood. But I think um, at least partially that also has to do with the Teddy Bridgewater situation. Yeah. I think guys were so wrong, and everybody knows it, that they've kind of slinked off in the corner and aren't being <laughs> as loud and boisterous as usual. Yeah. And they don't have no Rocky doing the NFL stuff now. I guess that's probably fairly well, His big book's deal. still coming out. He's got his book coming out. I mean, that, that he does. But I'm sure that'll be but he has the, winning stuff. But He had the biggest stage at NFL.com. And so yeah. you know, that, that probably drove a lot of hot takes, you know, cause you know how people te- like you'll have fans like parroting like scouting reports based on what they read. And, um, when you got, you know, one of the main guys, yeah, uh, doing that, doing that and saying, Oh, what this, that, or the other thing about his personal life, then you have people parroting it all over Twitter and it just like picks up steam. Well, and you had the, and like Steven said, with the, the Bridgewater stuff, you had Mayock kind of singing in that choir too. I mean, pretty adamantly about Bridgewater's, all the various shortcomings of Teddy Bridgewater, who probably, you know, will end up being the best quarterback to come from that 2014 sure. draft. But so you have your two heavies there. And, and, and when, and you've got a, a TV guy like that parroting that stuff. And I mean, people would, you know, there are people out there in April that if, you know, their particular draft analyst of choice told them to get a pair of black Nikes and drink some Kool-Aid, they'd do it. <laughs> yeah. In a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. I mean, just crazy. In a heartbeat. Yeah, it really is. But now you notice, there's one thing I was noticing the other day. Haven't really heard a lot from Mayock this year. No. Like, the, the only thing I've heard is uh, he said, he, you know, Jameis Winston off the field scares him. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree. Yeah, but as far as controversial takes, I I, I haven't heard one this year from. Him, so we'll see. Like I said, <laughs> I'm knocking on wood too. We still got a little ways to go, but it's been noticeable to me that even his uh, conference call, everybody was on the conference call and tweeted out of stuff, but it didn't have legs either. Like it was no. nothing in there for once that people weren't repeating for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it, it seems like maybe uh, uh, I don't know. His prestige has worn off a little bit too with that. I, I, you kind of, it makes you wonder, or maybe you know. My hope is that we've sort of reached this. Maybe we've crossed the line, and we're like in a better time for, you know. There's so many more places where you can get smart draft <laughs> analysis now that you don't have to. Obviously, SB Nation right there at the top of the list, but you know, some other places too on the internet. But uh, um, are, you, are you saying the golden age of takes is over? <laughs> <laughs> no, because <laughs> no, not at all. Because until right. August rolls around, it'll be the prime age, and we, you know, we could have an Aaron Hernandez verdict coming up soon. So I'm oh, sure the, the golden age of takes is just taking a little break right now. So, 
But speaking of the golden age of ticks, I do. I want to go back to in a weird sort of segue from Ray to the other pass rushers, the outside pass rushers you've broken down so far this season, Stephen. Tell me, tell us how those guys kind of line up to you right now. If you had to kind of order those guys on the list, you know who? How how do you rank them? Well, uh, I have my favorite, and that's Vic Beasley. Uh, I really, to be honest with you. Don't understand people who aren't drinking the same Kool-Aid that I am with this kid because his tape is fantastic, man. We we ran out of uh, uh, gift space. He made so many plays in, in the breakdown. So, um, and then he's a fantastic athlete. I just I don't know what it what else people want from him. Uh, so he's he's my far and away top guy. Uh, I think um, probably tied between uh, Dante Fowler. And Shane Ray is my second highest guy. Gregory, because of his off-the-field stuff, along with the fact that he's 235 Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have a signature move, I'm not as high on him at all as a lot of people are. I still think he's probably a first-round talent just because, even if you just go off his athletic ability. But I think that's a guy, if if you're looking in that group of four, who has the highest likelihood of being a bust, it's probably him. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting group. I mean, that's you know, those are some pretty talented guys. I really, you know, Beasley watching those. You mentioned the gift space, so we had to kind of put some of those into a, a short video because it was just like <laughs> it was hit after pressure after sack after hit after pressure after sack after hit after pressure. I mean, the guy just, you know, in any other world, it just it would have. I, I I can't believe people aren't talking more about him. I guess maybe that's just sort of the way the quarterbacks kind of tend to suck the air out of the room like that. But it's a uh, it's really fast. It's a really good year for pass rushers and also defensive tackles. I don't want to overlook the defensive tackles. Now you sent me an email the other day, Steve, when you were the Leonard Williams breakdown, and uh, you were looking forward to that. And now you've had some chances to work on a little bit. Give us, give us your. I don't want to. Don't give too much away, but give us your first impressions here. I mean, this kid is. I say in the piece that he's Paul Bunyan-esque at times. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he really is. If you, if you guys recall last year, uh, a couple of the plays that Rasheed Hegman made where he just tossed a guy and he'd go flying. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't make many of those plays, but when he did, it was just so impressive. Well, you see that on a regular basis with a guy like Leonard Williams. It, it was very um, impressive to watch how easily he was able to handle offensive tackles while he's two-gapping. There's just it's a little bit unheard of that a, a, a guy in college is good enough where he can just stand up an offensive tackle repeatedly in every single game, uh, you know, and not get knocked off the ball, still make plays on either side of, of the offensive lineman. He's just a phenomenal player as far as if you just looked at his strength, that's all, if that's all he had, he would still be a top five guy. The fact that he's also athletic and has a signature move, to me, that makes him, in most years, the top pick in the draft. Just so happened this year, you know, we got the two quarterbacks up there, and both of the teams right now that currently have those picks need a quarterback, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I think in any other year, he's the top pick in the draft. Wow. Just kind of, you know, caught a bad situation this time. But I can't imagine him getting past number three. Is there a player that you compare him to in the NFL right now? Well, um, 
the the guy that uh, I and I, I actually talked him over with uh, Booger McFarlane, and we said it kind of at the same time. Um, Richard Seymour mm. is who he oh, reminds yeah. me of, and maybe Richard Seymour with a little bit better motor. Just to be honest with you, Richard Seymour could take over a game anytime he wanted to. After he was in the league for a few years, it seems like he got bored. Nobody could block him anyway, <laughs> but he would kind of just pick his spots. Here's a kid that can kind of do that full time the whole game, and, and it's just it's going to be a factor one way or another. I don't care uh, what scheme you put him in; you can't possibly mess this kid up. I don't think, and that's how highly I think of him. Wow, that's I mean that's pretty impressive. I mean that guy's it's it's. He's got, I mean, there's a hell of a tape on that guy. I mean, he's just, you know, he's, he, he's, he's just impressive from top to bottom. But, and he's one of several guys in this draft class. That's, I mean, defensive tackles, it's a, it's a pretty decent group, especially at the top, it seems like. I just Dude. think this draft is going to be so interesting because there's going to be so many really good players left after the first day. Because you, you're going to have a run on, you know, pass rushers. You could have a run on cornerbacks. There's a there's a lot of really good cornerbacks, and there's a lot of cornerbacks that have sort of seemed to jump into their first round recently. If that makes sense, that you know they tape they tested really really well, and and all of a sudden now these guys are being talked about as first round picks. Byron Jones and Eric Rowe potentially, and then you're going to have a run on defensive tackles. You got like several really really good receivers and, and at the end of the day it's gonna be really interesting to see who's still sitting there you know as as uh day two starts and you got teams sort of jockeying for that the first couple of picks of the second day it, there's gonna be it's, i just feel like there's gonna be a lot of crazy like trades going down and as guys you know fall out of the first round like in a surprise fashion a lot of trades. There's and there's a lot of trade talk, and I guess that's you know that's partly driven by. I mean, I know the economic realities with the new CBA and stuff, but you know also with the quarterback situation with the Titans at number two have sort of, you know, been officially or unofficially off the record or on the record have been kind of dangling that out there for a time now, and and you know you've got people again today talking about how yeah Mariota's going is going to be the second overall pick. Assuming that Tampa takes Jameis Winston, and I think that's there's a lot there's enough information out there now to think that you know Tampa is is going to stick with the with the Winston you know with Winston with that top pick and but you know there are teams that will want to trade up you know whether it's because Wisenhut doesn't want you know Mariota is not necessarily his style of quarterback or you know Chip Kelly's so hot to trot to get Mariota reunite with Mariota or you know, all the other quarterback needy teams out there, the Rams, the Browns, teams like that are willing to kind of, are desperate and willing to kind of, you know, throw the family farm to to move up to get them. But uh, it makes for an interesting conversation like that this year. And it makes for some kind of a, that, you know, that pre-draft intrigue. And so we've, we've heard a little bit, we've heard some crazy trade rumors, we've heard some viable trade rumors out there. My favorite one was the one that came out yesterday was... Um, the Eagles were going to trade Sam Bradford to the Browns for Johnny Menziel and a first round pick. <laughs> okay. So, you know, there's that was out there too. So it's it's a good time and uh 
Danny's piece today, looking at the the you know, it's kind of a tongue in cheek piece with the quarterback matchmaking game was was interesting, and we threw in a little a flow chart in there. To that flow chart determine your favorite quarterback. So, if you're listening, go check that out. If you're not, if you haven't, um, if you haven't, if you have already, you know, do it again. Maybe you'll get a different quarterback. Maybe you'll wind up with RG three this time if you go through the the flow chart. So, um. I was, you know, usually I, I stick aside some time for news in these podcasts, but man, there's just really not a lot going on news-wise out there today. I, I um, the NFL officially announced um, Sarah Thomas as the first female referee, non-replacement referee division. Um, I, you know, there are some people that have really kind of, of course, the the comment section at Pro Football Talk is <laughs> as hot of a take as you can imagine. PFT Commenter has a take. We're sitting on. Um, we're getting ready to release that soon, so uh, we'll keep on the look. <laughs> that one took some editing, I'll have to say. <laughs> that one took a little more. That one took a little more work than usual. You couldn't just slap. You can't just slap the satire warning at the top of that one. Right. <laughs> right. Like, right. There's some stuff yeah. that people already fall for it anyway. Even with the satire uh, disclaimer. So yeah, I hate to see. <laughs> Ooh, the, the hot takes coming from their hot take where they take it seriously. Ooh, we should have like a paywall where you release his rough drafts. <laughs> people, right. people, and people in my neck of the woods over here were were more concerned. I mean, not concerned. You know, obviously the having the first female referee is a big step, and that's very cool for the NFL. But people over here were like, they have, they hired two Pac-12 referees. <laughs> Like, what in the world? Yeah, the thing people have to understand in these kind of situations is the NFL knows that this, the first woman referee is going to be under more scrutiny than any male that's ever had their job. Yeah. Of course, they're not going to pick anybody that is not extremely qualified for the job because if if she is messing up, that's going to be a bad reflection on them. I, you, look, you can say a lot of things about the NFL. I don't think they're that charitable that they just want to bring a, a, <laughs> a referee uh, uh, as some kind of PR move. That just doesn't seem like the yeah. type of way that they roll. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that she's at least as competent as those other bozos out there. I mean, <laughs> it's not exactly like they're perfect either. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, wel- I welcome her to the to the NFL uh, with open arms, I, I'm very disappointed uh, in some comments that uh, Senderic Marks made. Yeah, I, I think I think even if that is your deal, if you just feel like there's a conspiracy behind every single corner, you don't have to tell the world that. You don't have to sit up here and besmirch <laughs> her. You've never met her, never even seen her work, and you're just going to come off the right off the top rope and say, you know, they hired her just because she's a woman, basically making her into a prop. And people don't even really focus on this part. Just out of the blue, sucker punched Michael Sam basically, uh, uh, and, and saying he was a prop too. Yeah, statement. He was like, just like they did Michael Sam, just because he was gay. <laughs> like, where did this come yeah. from? As long yeah. as I'm at it, I'll, I'll have right. this in. So uh, you know, I, I I really was disappointed in that. I just don't feel like, look, if you be a caveman, can you please keep that caveman shit to yourself? <laughs> yeah. I'm not hearing it. 
Well, and if you're going to throw all that in there, it's like, can you not? I mean, do you not? This is a league where Jeff Triplett's a referee, man. I mean, how I was trying to think of his name. Yes. Uh, if you if you're gonna make a if you're gonna make a move, then you gotta. I mean, my gosh, get Jeff get Jeff get Jeff Triplett some damn glasses and some idea of what the hell the competency on the field is. But because it's always it's always an adventure when Triplett's ref out there. Ref, there's a few of those guys out there, but he's always he's the one that always stands out to me. Is like, my God, how is this guy not a replacement ref? Same here. He was exactly who I thought of when we started talking about this. I was trying to remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> repeatedly though you, you rarely have a guy that's a repeat offender like him or else you don't see him much anymore but he I don't know if he's got pictures or somebody at the league <laughs> office but he, every week you see him on TV you do man so, I, was in the, I think he was in the playoffs this year too I mean I, he he's was. been in the playoffs before even it's not believable it's uh it's kind of, it's right up there with that uh, that whole you know we can't afford goal line cameras kind of thing right Oh, that just in the dumbfounded NFL decision making process, but that's uh and then that's kind of it for news. I mean, you know, I, it's we've kind of hit that lull in free agency. We're still, you know, th- about three weeks away from the draft, so there's plenty of time to go for that. And when we had obviously college basketball, kind of took some of the oxygen out of the room. But and that's a little bit why I, I'll tell listeners this: they're looking forward to more of Steven's scouting reports. We've got some in the can, and we're going to start dropping those at least twice a week now. Um, with with the college basketball games going, we've been a little behind on our GIF and video making <laughs> stuff here. So, but now college basketball has kindly stepped aside for NFL, and we can uh, we can take center stage again. So <laughs> nice, right where we belong out there. Um, uh, you know, guys, I don't. It's it's a good time to maybe wrap it up here, unless there's a unless there's anything else on your minds, NFL wise, out there or otherwise, even I guess. I wrote an article yesterday about the Seahawks that got new uniform numbers. Well, look at that. <laughs> That's that tells you about how much is going on right now. <laughs> so, uh, in other words, no, I don't have anything to add. And Hernandez trial wrapped up. Uh, yes. That's true. Yeah, we need to kind of just make sure everybody knows that it wrapped up. Could be a verdict any minute now. Yes, that's right. The Aaron Hernandez trial. It did wrap up. Uh, the it, It's a busy day for Boston courts because the the Sarnef trial, just they delivered yeah. a verdict on that, you know, while we were record, in the process of recording this. So we're on the lookout for an Aaron Hernandez verdict. And it's an interesting situation. He's on trial for uh, – this is the Odin Lloyd murder. This isn't the double murder. Um, that happened before that one. This is the Odin Lloyd murder from June of 2013. Um, and it's kind of a, I mean, it's not a slam dunk. I mean, you know, if you just follow the trial in the media, it looks like it's, 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 it's one and done for this guy, but uh, it's, it's not because they don't, you know, they, a lot of the evidence they have is circumstantial. They didn't find the murder weapon. You had the prosecution, the defense team really stood on that, you know, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this murder was conceived and orchestrated by Aaron Hernandez. And they really kind of tried to portray him as like, yeah, he was on the scene. He was on the scene with these two other accomplices that he rolled with. But, you know, he was just sort of a, a, a guy caught up in all this. He wasn't he wasn't there to do the deed. He wasn't there to kind of, you know, he wasn't pushing for these guys to to shoot 
you know, Odin Lloyd or anything. And then they don't, you know, like I say, it's, it's some circumstantial evidence and he could, you know, he's either going to get murder one, murder two, which is a life sentence with parole after I think what, 20 years or 30 years. Murder one's obviously a life sentence without parole. This is in Massachusetts or he could get acquitted completely. And, and it's not something that, you know, should be ruled out. I don't even, I don't even want to, I don't even want to imagine the, the uh, headlines, if he gets acquitted, oh, who's going to pick him up? And you know Which, somebody will. <laughs> that, that, that's the sad thing about it. Don't act like Jerry Jones won't slip him in the back door. <laughs> <or something. laughs> oh, he gets now, we all know there's a few owners that, you know, well, we really talked to him and all that kind of jazz. But, you know, it, it, the people I follow as far as the legal analysts, uh, that have talked about this trial since it started, keep they keep pointing to the fact that even now the trial's over, nobody knows why Aaron Hernandez would want to kill Odin Lloyd. Yeah. And when you don't have motive, I don't know that motive is ever a prerequisite uh to find somebody guilty. But if you don't have motive, then you know, a lot of people will, will assume that means you have a reasonable doubt. Maybe it was one of the other two guys. Yeah. But but from from my perspective, they pretty well established that Aaron Hernandez was cut was kind of the ringleader yeah. when these guys all got together. And so it, it would be hard for me if I was on the jury, I think, to believe that these are his homeboys. Oda Lloyd was kind of like an outsider who became an insider. Because he was giving, you know, selling them weed at first, and then start dating, who might end up being his sister-in-law. Yeah. So, but those other guys were his boys. So it'd be hard for me on the jury to think that one of those guys killed his prospective brother-in-law, and he's, you know, but he's the one that's that's on trial. I would think that he had to have ordered that, or else they wouldn't have all came back together, you know. And, and you know, like nothing happened. Yeah, uh, it, it, it it's an uh, interesting case in that I can see the holes in it, but I just think logically you got to believe they went there to kill him and then came back to the house. Yeah, and, and you know, and and you there the circumstantial evidence, which you know is not the most the most admissible stuff in in court, and I haven't followed it just like super closely or anything. But I was I was really I went back and caught up on it yesterday because. You know, we could get a verdict at any time, and we need to kind of, you know, from an editorial standpoint, got to be ready for that. But uh, it's, uh, you know, the circumstantial evidence is pretty damning. But, you know, all it takes is one juror in that room to not, you know, to not be convinced, and it's over. But, you know, he would have, uh, he would then go to trial for the double murder in Boston. So Jerry Jones might not be able to sign him too quickly. <laughs> we'll get that when when the verdict does come out. I'm sure we'll get some expert analysis from our my favorite West Virginia lawyer, Mike Florio. We'll have um, probably some speculation on which. <laughs> What's that? Hottest of, he have the hottest of hot takes. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, in, in like in in a sentence that's probably like 90 words long or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no commas. <laughs> <laughs> no commas, ass backwards, talking about the, something about a murder leading into Jerry Jones, leading into Greg Hardy, leading in. His the, sentences the are Cowboys tied in. <laughs> His sentence is like a flowchart that's in that article today. It's rough stuff, man. Rough oh. stuff. 
Well, guys, we are approaching the uh, 50-minute mark or so here, um, depending on you know the uh, editing time on the back end here. But uh, it's probably a good time to start to wind it down, to wind it up, wind it down a little bit, and let folks get on with their day. Um, I'm looking forward to doing this again um, next week, and uh, we should have lots more draft stuff to talk about. Maybe a few hot takes to throw in there. As always, thank you, Stephen, and thank you, Danny, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys.